This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This week on the Chicago Bears Review. With the first eight games now in the books, it is time to look back and reflect on the top half of 2016 and see what the Bears have to look forward to going into the second half of the season. Where did the Bears go wrong and who can help them improve? Lauren Cox from BearsWire.com joins us on the midseason review episode of the Chicago Bears Review. Still riding high on my Cubbies, bringing home the World Series trophy. Um, didn't get the show out yesterday because I was busy watching the parade all day long and uh, celebrating uh, the end of a 108-year drought that uh, encompassed the, the, the 38 years that I've been on the planet. What's going on, everybody? Larity back for the midseason review episode of the Chicago Bears Review. The Bears with their bye week nine dead set in the middle of the season eight games before and eight games after and um you know we we had um optimism at the end of the 2015 season granted we had a terrible one in seven uh record at home uh you know in soldier field we were five and three on the road and we had an easy home schedule so we figure you know we can play the same as we did on the road and then top that with at least a you know four and four five and three record at home boy that's 10, 11 wins right there. We should be fine. You know, we got the AFC uh, South and the NFC East, two of the worst divisions in football coming up uh, this season. So, yeah, let's uh, let's get to 2016. So we go out and we sign some free agents. We have a, a decent rookie, uh, you know, a decent draft, a lot of high praise from the experts. Bears going to, you know, the Bears made some good moves or some good picks uh, this season. So going into it, you know, like, hey, this is going to be good. This is, uh, you know, we're going to make some moves here. Maybe we don't make the playoffs this year, but I think we're going to get close. And then, you know, going forward, we just felt like we had things going in the right direction. You know, everybody that was signing uh, with the Bears was was talking about how, you know, they were bought in with what uh, Ryan Pace and John Fox was selling them. So optimism for the season was high. Will it translate into wins and losses? We don't know, but, uh, you know, we think we're going to enjoy the product that the Bears are putting on the field. And then the season started, and, um, I mean, even you you hear, we we talked to Lauren Cox yesterday, um, you know, just uh, during the uh, parade, so we kind of killed my buzz on that a little bit. But, uh, you know, nonetheless, we we had a conversation, and it started in the preseason where, you know, things kind of got ugly early in the preseason, getting shut out by the Broncos and not really even looked like we belonged on the field with them. And then the the the, the game against the uh, the Patriots in, in the second week was a little bit better. And then we come back, dress rehearsal week, week three against the Chiefs, and it was a, a balls-up disaster. I mean, just absolute, just horrible, horrible day for the Bears, not to mention losing Connor Shaw, who looked like he might emerge and, and win the backup quarterback job from Brian Hoyer, who was atrocious uh, in the preseason, at least in those first three games. Anyway, he, he performed a lot better uh, in the finale against the Browns. But, uh, you know, it just uh, it looked like we were going to – there might have to be a decision the Bears need to make here. Uh, you know, they might have to eat some salary cap on on letting Brian Hoyer go because Connor Shaw looks a lot more prepared to be the guy coming off the bench than than Hoyer did. And then Shaw gets hurt on that dirty ass tackle uh, by the Chiefs, breaks his uh, breaks his leg and he's done for the season. I hope he gets another shot uh, next year, kind of like Zach Miller, you know, looked brilliant in the preseason, had that suffered that injury, was done for the year, come back and look at Zach Miller now. I'm hoping maybe that's something we can hope for in Connor Shaw uh, coming in, in 2017. But uh, 
Then the season started. Then the real season started. We figured, okay, we're 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 still adjusting. We we got our, our, our you know rookie at center. We signed Josh Sitton at the last minute to be our other guard. Uh, you know, we got Massey and Long on the right side, Sitton and, and Lino on on the left, and then we got Cody Whitehair, our second round pick. Uh, you know, as the new center, this is what we're throwing at the Houston Texans. Um, three quarters in, we're still leading the Texans. It's a one point ball game, but we're winning. And then the wheels come off in the fourth quarter. We can't stop the Texans on third down. They they damn near set a record for third round the third down conversion percentage uh, in that football game, and then. Uh, we follow it up the week later, getting embarrassed on national television by Carson Wentz and the Eagles. It was not even as close as the 29-14 final score would indicate. Um, then a week later, again on national television, just blown right off the blocks uh, by the Cowboys. Um, you know, So here it is. We're looking at this schedule that was quote-unquote easier than last year's and even statistically by win-loss record in 2015 it was the third easiest schedule in the entire NFL and we're 0-3 after the first three weeks and there's really nothing positive to talk about after those first three weeks just a, a nightmare you know just like what the hell is going on with this team we come home week four take on the uh, Detroit Lions and have a much better much more solid performance win our first game of the year 17 to 14 and the game wasn't even that close you know we we uh gave up a special teams touchdown at the end uh to make it a much more closer ball game uh brian hoyer is starting because cutler's been out the last two weeks with the the thumb injury against philadelphia and you know the offense is you know improved as far as moving the football and everything but they're not closing the deal and scoring points the way they need to be and that became prevalent a week later uh, against Indianapolis ironically the highest point total we've had all season with 23 points but it wasn't enough because our defense once again um you know we talk about this with Lauren Cox and he had an interesting theory that I'm kind of buying into after he kind of laid it out there was that you know, the defense's failings are due to the offense. Couldn't get themselves off the field, uh, you know, keeping the defense on the field, actually, because they, uh, you know, the defense has given up third down conversions and the offense is failing to convert them to give the defense a break. And it's costing us because you see three quarters in, in, in pretty much every game. We can hang with just about everybody. It's the fourth quarter where things go wrong and the defense is kind of, you know, falling apart at the end because they've been on the field for 70, 80 snaps uh, in a ball game and they're tired. You know, they just kind of falter and, and uh, that kind of thing. Uh, is going to happen so um, you know the, the that happened again in Indianapolis could not stop T.Y. Hilton even though we knew he was the only thing that the Colts had the only bullet they had in their chamber we couldn't stop the guy um, fast forward a week later to Jacksonville at home this time we got a 13 nothing lead going into the fourth quarter and we managed to blow it uh, lose the game 17 to 16 that's all I'm gonna say about that because don't get me freaking started on that Jacksonville game it's kind of like the it's kind of like the the NBA finals are heating up looking for hot takes on all the postseason action the old man and the three presented by BMW is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage host and former NBA sharpshooter JJ Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. JJ has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard, BMW, the ultimate driving machine. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. 
I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Well, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Damn San Francisco game from last year. I still talk about that game. You know, I hell, I even mentioned it when I talked to, to Lauren in the interview there. But, um, you know, so here we are, uh, week seven. We're uh, uh, Thursday night football, color rush uniforms, which I, I, I just I did not like the, the head to toe Navy look. I just did not like it. I think actually it might have worked a lot better for me if the Bears didn't have the stripe down the side and it was a solid Navy uh, from head to toe kind of thing. I thought that might have been it. That might have been a good look. But uh, the stripe, it was kind of distracting because the, the orange is so bright and the white is bright. It kind of stuck out to me. It was distracting. And that's just me from my graphic designer point of view. It just it didn't look good. And then the Packers, I thought they looked weird in all white. So uh, it just – and then the Bears played horribly. And, and ironically enough, we're after three quarters, which is the running theme for the season, we're only down a field goal to Green Bay before they pull away at the end and win 26 to, 26 to 10. So – here we are. We got a 10-day break, 11-day break going into week number eight. We got Minnesota coming up on Monday Night Football. They're coming off a disappointing slash embarrassing loss to the Eagles the week before, which was them being rusty off the bye. And everybody, including myself, thought the Vikings were going to – this was going to be their get-back game. They're playing a wounded team that's not playing well. Jay Cutler is forced into duty uh, for his first start in over a month. Uh, he's doing it against the number one defense in the NFL, shorthanded on the offensive line with sitting and long uh, inactive for the game. So we got tank top guy and career backup Ted Larson as our guards against the number one defense in football. And <laughs> we don't think we stand a chance. Well, that uh, that thought was erased immediately when Jordan Howard broke a run for 69 yards. Uh, you know, to kick things off in the in the first quarter, we take an early lead, and it ended up being a lead we never relinquished throughout. You know, thirteen to nothing or thirteen to three at halftime it was, and we just smashed our way through the Vikings on both sides uh, of the football, offense, defense. We sacked Bradford five, six times. They were only averaging maybe like two point seven yards a carry, if that. Uh, in the football game, uh, you know, Bradford couldn't find anybody open. Stephon Diggs caught a touchdown pass, but that was already after the game was already decided. It was just a dominant pillar to post uh, performance from both sides of the football. It was a team win. The most complete game this team has played all season, not marred by penalties and mistakes and mental errors and things like that. The Bears had two penalties on their side and only one on the Minnesota side. So it's like the the, the the refs weren't calling, weren't uh, didn't feel the need to call much of anything uh, in that ball game, and none of the penalties was really that um, uh, you know important or game altering or or anything uh, like that. I mean, it was an offside penalty from Willie Young, and then that silly uh, he thought what everybody else thought penalty on Cornelius Washington, who was kind of you know jogged onto the field a few steps to celebrate with his teammates after uh, Pernell McPhee uh, laid a hit on uh, Bradford that they thought was an incomplete pass, but it was actually ruled a backward pass, therefore the ball being live, so the play still going, and Cornelius Washington strups onto the field. That's a you know an unsportsmanlike penalty for, for Minnesota. So, yeah, it's a stupid thing, but you know he kind of had the same thought that everyone else did, so uh, no big deal there. No turnovers from Jay in the offense, and you know the other thing was – it actually ended up kind of being a positive in my mind. No turnovers on the Vikings either, which means that Minnesota has no excuse as to why they lost the football game. It wasn't like, well, if we don't turn the ball over four times, yeah, we win that football game. Well, you didn't turn it over at all, so basically you just sat there and got your asses kicked uh, by a 1-6 football team. And I've mentioned this here a few times 
uh, in the review episode. I've said it on Football is America. Sitting there watching that game, if you were just the layman coming off the street and I told you, watching that Monday night game, yeah, one of these teams is 5-1 and one and in charge of the in, you know, first place in their division, one of the best teams in the conference. The other one is 1-6 and six and you know at the bottom of the power rankings. If I asked you who that was, you would have gotten that question wrong. You would have thought the Bears were the better team, the Vikings were the busters, and uh, you know that's how crazy that night was, seeing all of that happen. And uh, then, of course, uh, to kill the momentum, we go on the bye. So, you know, the one game we play inside of a 23-day window. You know, uh, we play on Thursday night 11 days before we play on Monday and 13 more days before we play again uh, on Sunday against the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers who look like they might be coming in a bit wounded uh, with Jameis Winston and Mike Evans getting hurt uh, the other night on Thursday night football against the the Falcons. But, um, you know, basically that's the season in a nutshell. It's it. There's been a lot of turmoil this year the quote-unquote quarterback controversy uh with jay not playing well hoyer being efficient if not effective uh in his time as the starter four straight games of 300 yards but we only won one of those games we should have won them all quite frankly we probably should have won them all um maybe not so much the cowboys game which was his first start but definitely we should have won indianapolis we should have won jacksonville that should have been a three-game winning streak we had going into the into the uh, Green Bay game. You know, right now the Bears should be four and four, not two and six. You know, they should have won Jacksonville definitely, and we should have we should have beaten Indianapolis. We shouldn't be zero and three against the AFC South uh, right now. In, in my opinion, we should be four and zero because we blew it in the fourth quarter. There, we had that game in control, and then Houston pulled away from us there at the end. Um, you know, but uh, it hasn't worked out that way. The Bears haven't been able to close uh, like they did, but we're two and one in the division. You know, we got the two victories against Detroit and Minnesota, and, uh, you know, we, we, we uh, came up short against Green Bay and Lambeau. We get another bite at the Packers week 15, uh, I believe it is, uh, 15 or 16, one of the two. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting year. You know, Lauren, Lauren and I talk about it during the interview. You know, is this, was that game against Minnesota a glimpse of things to come as we go into the season, or was it our Green Bay on Thanksgiving night from last season moment? You know, was that the, the one game where we just play out of our heads against all odds in a situation where we didn't stand a chance and we come away with the victory. That's basically what happened on Monday night. Nobody, including myself, gave the Bears a chance to win that football game. No, regardless of the fact that Jay was coming back, and you know we're starting to get some guys healthy again. Jeremy Langford was was uh, you know going to play on that day, and so on and so forth. But you know we we should be getting Sitton and Long back uh, after the after the bye. Eddie Royal should be healthy. Eddie Goldman should be healthy. So we should be prepared as close to 100% as we've been all season going into the second half of the season. Now it's just a matter of keeping all those guys healthy uh going forward uh from there. So um you know, is there reason for optimism? Yeah, absolutely. Uh the, the Bears kind of seem to really put it all together. You know, from top to bottom, from coaching to execution to, you know, just the way that they played overall. They they they, they limited mistakes, almost zero mistakes uh, in the football game uh, against the uh, against the Vikings on Monday Night Football. If that's the team that we have going forward, we're going to steal some wins and, and uh, do some damage in the second half of the year. You know, if we don't get to the playoffs ourselves, we can definitely ruin somebody else's opportunity to do so. So should be interesting. The second half of the season – uh, especially those first four games is, uh, you know, interesting to say the least. You know, we start off with the two road games, so that would be tough at Tampa, at the Giants. Uh, the Giants are an inconsistent team. We can catch them with their pants down. Tampa Bay is reeling at the moment. Back home for back-to-back games, Tennessee and San Francisco, and I think everybody knows how badly I want that San Francisco game, you know. Then we got at Detroit, at uh, home for Green Bay, home for Washington, at Minnesota, you know, those last four, so three out of the last four games are division opponents, which I think is awesome, actually. Kind of have to run the gauntlet of the, you know, division teams to close out the year. And, uh, you know, it's not an impossible schedule. We've beaten Detroit and Minnesota already. Granted, this time we have to go to Minnesota, where they've been pretty damn tough uh, this year. We've got Green Bay and Washington uh, at home. Uh, the Redskins are an up-and-down team. 
uh, this year. Uh, Detroit, we'll see what they're like at home uh, this year. And, uh, you know, they kind of went on a, a little win streak after they lost to us uh, earlier this year. And who, they, who will they be when we see them again week number 14? So lots of questions. Lots of things could happen between now and then. And, uh, you know, stranger things have happened. You know, the Chiefs won 11 in a row last year before they finally lost. So maybe the Bears could put something together and, you know, kind of had the same attitude about Kansas City last year. It was like, these guys are done. They're finished. They're thinking about 2016. So let's just pack it in and, and go forward from here. That's obviously been the way that most people are thinking about the Bears. And, and you know, maybe, just maybe, thinking optimistically because I'm still riding high on the Cubs win. Maybe uh, that could turn around for us. We'll see. So, anyway, that's my quick little recap of, uh, of 2016 thus far. What do you say we go ahead and uh, dump into our interview, our nice little conversation with Lauren Cox from BearsWire.com, getting a little bit more in-depth on 2016. And back on the show once again to review the first eight games of the season. Um, he helped us uh, preview the 2016 season. We we had a much more optimistic conversation uh, than what's actually taken place in the first eight weeks of the season. Lauren Cox from BearsWire.com. Lauren, welcome back to the show, man. Hey, happy to be back. Uh, I wish it was on a little bit of better uh, terms right now with the way the season's gone, but glad, glad, glad to be back to break it all down. I appreciate it. And, um, you know, uh, we were talking just briefly before we got started here. And it's, uh, you know, and through the first eight games of uh, 2015, Fox's first year at the helm, we were three and five. But we were kind of a scrappy three and five. We were, we're you know, we, 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 we weathered the storm in that 0-3 start with, the, with Green Bay, Arizona, Seattle, and then bounced back with back-to-back wins against, uh, you know, Oakland and Kansas City and we played Denver tough and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we were that we we're like, you know, anything could happen going into the second half of the season. But we fast forward to this year and through the first eight games of the season, we're two and six. And it's we're not a scrappy two and six. We're we're a well-deserved. They're as bad as advertised two and six. It's definitely a different feel from last year. I mean, there's so many games in 2015 and you could kind of point, okay, well, it's the first year under John Fox. Everyone's still kind of, you know, learning each other and, and figuring out what they have and what they don't have. And so many games, like you mentioned, you know, they lose by two to Denver. They lose by six to San Francisco, losing overtime to the Lions, lose just by three to the Redskins. You know, it was like, okay, this team is really close. And one more off season, one more big draft, one more, you know, influx of talent and this team's going to be ready to go in, in 2016 that that was the thought and then they come out against Houston and kind of get stomped and okay maybe maybe this team's going to take just a little bit more time to come together and then they are 0 3 and Jay Cutler's injured and the wheels have completely fallen off and now you're sitting at 2 and 6 and it was 1 and 6 after Green Bay and you don't even know if this is the coaching staff that's going to be around next year you don't really know whose whose jobs are up for grabs and whose jobs are safe because it's like you said it's not the same two and six it's not the same win-loss feeling team from last year it definitely feels like a step back all around yeah and and the vibe was pretty much different from the very beginning I mean when we, we can even go back to the preseason and that first game even against Denver you know, you really got a feeling that something is not right here because, all right, it's the first uh, it's the first preseason game. You either look great or you look terrible in the first one. But there was just something you could just sense and something just wasn't right in that game against Denver. I mean, we got blown off the field by Mark freaking Sanchez, for Christ's sake, uh, in that first uh, in that first drive. And it just seemed like, you know, like last year in the preseason. Yeah, maybe the starters were a step or two behind, you know, their competition. But it was like those guys like the John Timus and, and, and whatnot that were really impressive and they looked well coached and we're like, OK, you know, this is what we want to see. We're well coached. These guys know where to be. So it's just going to be, you know, trying to bridge that gap in talent. And that's where the difference is going to be this season. We fast forward to this year and it's you know, it's just it just wasn't the same. And as we go through the preseason, it looked worse and worse. And then that dress rehearsal game against Kansas City was an absolute disaster. And it was at that point where it's like, OK, now we might want to hit the panic button because this really looks bad. And I remember at the time 
you know, it's easy to kind of say, oh, well, it's preseason. And, and I'm sure that's, I mean, I remember that's what John Fox had said at the time. You know, it's, we, don't, we don't look into the scoreboard too much. We don't really care about the wins and losses. It's more about the way the team played. But you're absolutely right that the team did not play well at all. And, and you, again, you want to be able to just say, well, it's just preseason. But when you get shut out by the Denver Broncos in the first game of the preseason, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how often teams get shut out in the preseason, but that seems like pretty darn rare to me just because it's backups on backups. And you, you got to be able to at least get some kind of points. It doesn't matter who's out there. You know, it's preseason football. You should be able to at least show some semblance of a team that can move the ball and, and at least get in field goal range, at least put up something. But they, there was absolutely nothing in that game. And then the dress rehearsal of Kansas City was a total disaster. I mean, you didn't really have any kind of consistent offensive production. And same thing on the defense. They they barely were able to slow down this this Chiefs offense that was, had I think five different quarterbacks playing in that game, and it definitely was was kind of the early warning signs. But you didn't necessarily want to believe it. You kind of just wanted to say, well, they'll be ready for the regular season because it's not that big of a deal because it's just the preseason. But really, they kind of came out against Houston, and it was more of the same. I mean, the, that the Bears team was energized for the first half, and especially that first quarter, they came out playing well, but they just completely fell flat in the second half and, and really let the Texans run away with it. And that kind of set the tone for the Bears' season so far. You're right. And, and you know, I've, I've, as we've gone through the season, the running theme, except for that game against Detroit, was if the football game was only three quarters long, the Bears might be undefeated. You know, it's just that they, they can they can power through the the first half and they can be in it in the at the end of the third quarter. But in the fourth quarter, the wheels just come off. We had the lead going into the fourth quarter against Houston. I mean, obviously, we, we you know, we were dominant against uh, Detroit. That was the one really great game that we've had. I mean, obviously, aside from Monday night, we'll talk about that in a bit. But, you know, the final score did not give any indication as to how how close that game actually was because the Bears kind of blew Detroit out of the water but our failure on offense to put points on the board is the only reason the score ended up being as close as it was the Bears were fairly dominant of Detroit that day we should have done better against Indianapolis the same failings there uh Jacksonville I don't even want to talk about that game and then (laughs) you know we were only down a field goal against Green Bay you know so if it was only a three-quarter game we might have a better record you know, but it's that fourth quarter because we have to play the fourth quarter. That's really been the problem for the Bears, especially in the losses. Yeah, you know, the, you just haven't seen an offense that can hold it together, can hold onto the ball long enough, can put up points. I mean, we saw Brian Hoyer get plenty of yards, but when he doesn't finish those drives, when they get down in the red zone, they get into field goal range, and they can't get touchdowns on the board. And once that starts adding up, and the other team starts to get momentum. A lot of times in those games when you saw the defense start to crumble was when they'd just been on the field for so long because the, their own offense couldn't keep them off of it. I mean, against Green Bay, they they had Aaron Rodgers pretty well shut down for three quarters, but then you get into that fourth quarter and they play most. They had, they had played most of the third quarter, and a lot of guys like Akeem Hicks and Tracy Porter, you see them starting to get tired out a little bit, not being as physical as you would like to see because they've been on the field so much. And that's when you saw the Packers pull away because Brian Hoyer and the offense couldn't keep the ball long enough. And part of that, too, goes on Dowell Loggins because in a lot of those games in the middle middle part of the first half of the season, they they tended to abandon the running game too early. And, you know, they, they'd stop giving the ball to Jordan Howard after he'd break off a couple of nice runs. And they'd, you know, randomly put in Kadeem Carey after Jordan Howard's been playing well. And he, he, there wasn't quite much of a plan, it seemed, for that running game. And when you have Brian Hoyer attempting 50 passes a game for a while there, it wasn't a great strategy to keep the time of possession and to keep your defense rested. And ultimately you saw three straight opposing offenses pull away in the fourth quarter to win the game. Yeah. And and that was the big point of contention here in this season was the whole Cutler versus Hoyer debate. And for me, it never was a debate. Um, Brian Hoyer in my opinion, was in danger of losing the backup job in the preseason because Connor Shaw outplayed him every single time in the preseason. The only thing, in my opinion, that saved Hoyer's job besides his salary, probably, was the fact that Connor Shaw got injured in that Kansas City uh, game there in, in, in the preseason because Connor Shaw looked like he might be the guy to, that we should have backing up Jay Cutler instead of uh, Brian Hoyer, who couldn't uh, hit the broadside of a barn uh, in the preseason and then come along and Jay gets hurt in that Philadelphia 
game. It just like seemed like we were so limited on offense with Brian Hoyer, um, especially when it got into the red zone, uh, because it would just seem like the the defense was almost like in a prevent. You just keep everything in front of you because Brian Hoyer is not going to try to throw the football down the field. Yeah, you know, the the Connor Shaw thing is probably the greatest what if for this season is if Connor Shaw had been healthy. You know, do they beat Indianapolis with Connor Shaw? I I think they do. Do they beat Jacksonville? I think they do. And Green Bay, probably, but you, you don't know 100% sure in, in that game. But part of the bigger issue here there, too, is that Jay, I mean, as part of the Ian Rappaport report, and I've heard this backed up a couple times, that Cutler was healthy a little bit sooner than the Minnesota Vikings game, and it sounds like he would have been able to go against Green Bay and potentially the Jacksonville Jaguars game had he had the coaching staff allowed him to. But as Rappaport started outline, they held him out of practice those weeks and didn't and kept him on the injury report in order to keep Brian Hoyer in the game because that's who John Fox wanted under center because he was going to take better care of the ball. But obviously that did not result in wins, and we saw what happened when Jay Cutler came back out against the Minnesota Vikings. He was energized. He was probably a little ticked off. And he really led this offense in a dominant performance over one of the league's best defenses. And it just seemed, I mean, even publicly in the press, Pernell McPhee talking about like, yeah, Brian was all right, but we got a new life with number six uh, at quarterback. To come out and say that to the, you know, to the whole press was a hell of an endorsement. And to really kind of let the fans know where the locker room's head was at, like they're in opposition with what the coaching staff actually wants to have on the team right now. Yeah, you know, and I I don't remember what week it was. It might have been after the Eagles game or maybe after the Dallas game, they, they talked to Dowell Loggins and he had some quote about how Jay Cutler is the toughest player he's ever coached in his entire, you know, in his 12 year NFL career or whatever. So it, it seems like even the offensive coordinator was on the side of their starting quarterback, but it all kind of points back to John Fox at the top, you know, refusing to endorse his quarterback to the media, giving all these hints about, well, you know, We'll stick with you know the best guy at the position, and if if Hoyer's playing well, it's it's hard to make a change. You know he kind of hemmed and hawed and, and never really endorsed Jay until all of a sudden Cutler comes back and beats the NFC North leading Minnesota Vikings, and he says, "Oh, there was there was never a controversy. Jay was always our quarterback, even though he had refused to say the same thing in previous weeks." So it certainly looks bad on your head coach, and you have to wonder, you know, with what guys like McPhee were saying, how the locker room was responding to that during that time, and how much longer it would have gone on had Brian Hoyer not broken his arm against the Green Bay Packers. Because if they had kept losing and, and Fox had kept insisting on keeping that backup quarterback in there, you, you have to wonder how bad it would have gotten. That's, you know, that is a hell of a question, um, you know, because it just um, it, it just really seemed like, you know, like you said, that the the team was uh, was was rejuvenated. It was lit up once once Jay was was back out there. I mean, I, I of all the games for Jay to come back, this was the one that I didn't want to see him at least not coming off the off the injury list for the first time uh, with the, the the Vikings and the way they've been eating people up and and everything. And then with sitting in long, not even playing. I mean, we got we got tank top guy and a backup, uh, a career backup playing guards against, you know, Linval Joseph and and those those man eaters on in Minnesota. And this is the defense that we're throwing Cutler up against. You know, this is how he got hurt in the first place, because this offensive line couldn't protect him against Houston. And then again, especially uh, in that Philadelphia game. Game. He got ragged all over the field uh, that night, and we're going to throw him in there against Minnesota. And then, pff, boy, did I turn out to be wrong on that one? He he ate the he ate Minnesota alive, especially with the help of uh, with Jordan Howard. Yeah, I had the same fears about Jay. It kind of felt like, oh man, if they're going to bring him back, they can't bring him back against the best defense they faced all year. At least give him through the bye week, and you know, bring him back against Tampa Bay and New York and Tennessee, and let him build some confidence that way. But he absolutely blew everybody's expectations out of the water against Minnesota, and I think his offensive coordinator Dowell Loggins gets a lot of credit for that too. I mean, the concern was more that he would get eaten alive because they come back to the same game plan we saw against Houston and Philadelphia where you know they're, they're, he's holding on to the ball he has his quarterback holding on to the ball too long and the running game's not doing anything and they're not really making the Minnesota Vikings defensive line stay honest on that at all but instead they come out and they, they commit to Jordan Howard and he has a huge game they run a lot more play action in that game than they had in any game prior this season I think it was like some like 36 percent of passes were play action and Jay really was able to tear up their secondary because of that you saw a lot of guys committing one way or another if they're faking the run left guys will ju- it's just that step just enough space for a guy like Alshon Jeffrey to get a step going deep and we saw you know there was some rust certainly in the first quarter there with the two of them but in the second half, there was a ton of Jay Cutler to Alshon Jeffrey connections, and it really looked like the Bears' offense that we had been hoping for from Week One. And it was, and I think the offensive coordinator, like I said, deserves some credit for putting together an excellent game plan. 
And this is a guy who I'd been calling for his job uh, the last few weeks. I was like, maybe maybe he doesn't get fired, but if the Bears keep playing the way that they are on offense, I don't see how Dole Logan still is calling the plays when we come back from the bye because the Bears just look so disorganized and he's been bullheaded with the with the game plan and uh, we're passing more than we're running when we have this rookie running back who's lighting the world up and you know this was a guy that I was like I don't understand you know if if he's still calling the plays and they come back from the bye then then the Bears are in trouble and then he goes out and he's you know he's brilliant against Minnesota but and then what was the most amazing part about it is that we were so short-handed on offense we had a busted up piece together offensive line Eddie Royals not playing Alshon Jeffries like a, the forgotten man on the offensive side of the ball because Brian Hoyer never looked his way and don't even get me started on Indianapolis where Jeffries running wide open down the sideline but he throws in a triple coverage to Cameron Meredith so I mean oh boy you know that that's the kind of stuff that that we're talking about it's like Alshon is probably the happiest man on earth that Jay Cutler's taking the snaps again yeah you know it's 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 a weird situation with Loggins because I totally was on the same page with you after, especially after that Green Bay game. It was like this guy clearly doesn't need, doesn't know what he's doing with this with this offense right now. If you have Brian Hoyer under center, you should take the ball even more out of your quarterback's hand than you were doing with Jay. And it it really did seem like he was headed for the chopping block, but it was like a new guy calling plays against Minnesota. And it's it's hard to then look ahead and say, well, you know, is this guy the answer? I mean, is he a good? offensive coordinator i mean we don't know we saw one game of of brilliant play calling after seven games of questionable play calling and it's it's hard to it's hard to pin it down to to, to know what you're going to get from him next week or i guess the tampa bay buccaneers and what you're going to get beyond that because it's it's certainly it's certainly a, a weird season all around i think on the offensive side of the ball so honestly where do you think we would be had jay been healthy throughout because the, the the offensive line that he had in weeks one and two was not the same offensive line that Hoyer had three through six. You know, he had time. He was protected. He could throw the football. That's why he's standing back there throwing for 350 a game um, because he has the protection. Now, granted, we weren't facing the same level of defense that we had to with the Texans and the and the and the Eagles with their pass rush and such, but you'd had to think we'd have been able to score more points if Jay's got time to sit back and pick apart a defense. It sure feels like if if Jay Cutler had played, you know, after after that Dallas game when uh, you know and had not gone injured, they'd be looking at maybe have just won their fifth game in a row. You know, be, they beat Detroit obviously, and then they should have beat Indianapolis with Jay. They would have beat Indian. It would have beat Jacksonville Jaguars with Jay. And the Packers game, they, because they were winning for three quarters, you have to feel like they would have been able to put more than 10 points on the board, especially with all the opportunities Hoyer had in that game. Right. They, they probably would have beat the Green Bay Packers and then obviously beat Minnesota. That's five games in a row. You're 5-3 and three going in the bye week. Probably feeling like the top of the NFC North with the way that Green Bay's been struggling and now Minnesota struggling after the Bears embarrassed them. They're kind of... It's a, it's a whole different season. and It all comes back to that quarterback injury, which which raises the bigger question of then if if you feel like you would be five and three and at the top of your division if jay color was healthy why is it such a foregone conclusion that they should trade him or cut him this offseason i mean i know you i get the impression from you that you are not in agreement with that but it seems like the national media and a lot of the a lot of the talk is well jay's just auditioning for another team right now but if the dude would have been five and three realistically and, and why would you ever try and get rid of him with no clear option b i mean if you had a rookie that you're ready to play and and, you know you have another quarterback option then sure you know move on and and get and look more towards the future but he's all you have right now and if you if you had had him you're you're looking pretty good so i don't i don't understand why there's such a hurry to get rid of him when clearly he's putting this team in the right direction well i mean it's it's an internal conversation i mean I've, i've been having this with uh with my buddy Ron uh, from Football is America, and we've been talking about this, and he's actually been part of the part of that school that the Bears are going to get rid of, or that should get rid of him. I'm not so much on the bandwagon of, of them needing to get rid of Jake Cutler. I just think that they will. You know, I, I just think that now that they're out from underneath this this horrible contract that Phil Emery uh, signed him to, that basically handcuffed the franchise to him. 
um, you know, when uh, when they you know they signed this ridiculous deal where he's getting money a year in advance. You know, like if he's on a roster in this on by this date in 2015, that guarantees 80 percent of his salary for 2016. I mean, what genius put that together? And um, you know, obviously he's giving us our best chance to win, so he should be the starting quarterback, and if he continues to play well, I don't see a reason for them not uh, to bring him back, especially like you said, there's no plan B, but I just got a feeling for some reason because Pace has not had any qualms whatsoever about pulling the trigger on ejecting a guy that he didn't bring in. This is not his guy. He's trying to mold this franchise in his image if you will and jay isn't that guy that he brought in and he wants to bring in his own guys or maybe he's just listening too much to john fox in in making those uh decisions i mean i would like jay to stay the quarterback especially if he plays as well as he did against minnesota going forward yeah you know i think jay's future in chicago depends 100 percent on who the coaching staff is because it does seem like the majority of the anti-j color sentiment right now is coming from john fox at least from the team standpoint we don't really know how Brian Pace feels about him in the past. Pace or Pace said this past offseason they were building around him, but that that certainly can change very quickly. And if John Fox and this offensive staff is back next year, then I totally agree. I think they do move on from Jay Cutler. But if the team, you know, they can't if they don't build on this success against the Vikings, and you know they still finish five and eleven, six and ten, maybe at the best, then maybe they look to move on from John Fox and they bring in a whole other staff and maybe they get a guy in here that wants Jay Cutler, maybe they get a guy in here that doesn't. But I think the head coach next year will be the determining factor in whether Jay Cutler's here or not. Because I, I can't see Ryan Pace just getting rid of him no matter what, especially if they don't have, you know, if they if they get a rookie quarterback, do, do you want to start the rookie from day one or do you want to have the veteran that can help him and can start until the rookie's ready? And it's not like Jay has all this guaranteed money left. It's all gone now. So you could even realistically hold on to Cutler for a while in, you know, into the preseason, into the regular season, and even you know move on from him whenever you want at that point as soon as you feel like your rookie quarterback's ready because they, they haven't seemed to have any qualms putting Brian Hoyer in over him, even even what his salary is for Jay Cutler. So it, it kind of seems like why, why get rid of him unless you're 100% ready? But like I said, it'll depend on who all is still employed at Hallis Hall. Yeah, no, I definitely uh, agree with that. So let's talk about our running back situation because we all kind of had a focus on on who it was supposed to be. Uh, the guy that, that showed flashes as a rookie uh, last year, and he comes back, and in the limited time that he has played thus far, he was very unimpressive and completely outshined from day one, even in the, in the preseason, uh, by Jordan Howard, who I think you and I had the discussion when I had you on the show the first time that that uh, he might be the gem uh, of this draft, uh, you know, getting him from from Indiana in the fifth round when a lot of people didn't think he would still be there. And uh, here he is. He's the starter. And there's no question that that's his job to lose from now on. And Jeremy Langford, who finally came back from that ankle injury, um, the only time I heard his name on Monday was when John Gruden pointed him out for making a mistake, picking up a blitz uh, on Monday night and then I never heard from Langford again because Jordan Howard was brilliant and Langford uh, better get used to the view from the sideline yeah Langford only played five snaps <clears throat> only played five snaps against the Minnesota Vikings and that that one uh, that one mess up in pass protection was the only time he was used in pass protection in that game so they might have might have seen that and kind of pulled the pulled him out and you know he didn't get a single carry he only ran four routes as a you know it, so he wasn't clearly not a big part of the offensive game plan and like you said it is Jordan Howard's job to lose and Jeremy just didn't seem to show that ability to extend runs it seemed like too often as soon as he gets the first contact from a defender he goes down especially in those first two games against uh, Houston and Philadelphia and certainly those are two solid defenses so he deserves you know credit for just even being able to get a certain distance against them but Jordan Howard clearly has been able to extend runs make guys miss run through arm tackles, carry guys an extra three yards when he is being tackled. And that's kind of what we've needed from this running backs group. I mean, especially when Brian Hoyer was under center, they needed someone to be able to pick up those key yards on on, on the ground and, and give the offense something different than just 50 passes a game. And it was it left us all scratching our heads as to why there weren't more Jordan Howard carries. It seemed like he was being limited to at least you know 15 a game at the most in in most of those opportunities when Hoyer was throwing 50 times and even when the Bears had a lead or it was tied they kept going back to the passing game but and and I think Kadeem Carey deserves a little bit of credit too he hasn't been 
hasn't had a huge role, but when he has been on the field, he's made the most of his opportunities. He, in those two games, I think it was the Jacksonville Jaguars game and then the Packers game when he was sort of the randomly the de facto starter and that when he got more carries than Jordan Howard, he had a decent yards per carry average. I think he was over five in those two games. Is he, he ran hard and brought some energy. And now all around you're looking at three young running backs that all deserve playing time. And, and I think it's up to Dowell Loggins to find ways to use their strengths, maybe get more than one of them on the field at the same time. If then you know if that involves putting one of them at fullback, you know just for different looks or rotating Jeremy Langford out to wide receiver, motion him out of the backfield, just do something to add some creativity to the offense and use these three young weapons that you have in the backfield. And um, you know so you know moving on to the the wide receiving core, we have Alshon Jeffrey who remarkably has been healthy all season long, but you wouldn't really know it because when when they when they were out when they're out there. Um, you know, Kevin White goes down with the injury uh, again, and uh, it's just the kid can't. It's he just has. It's just horrible luck on on his account, and people already wanting to write him off and, and label him a bust and everything. And it's you know he might be able to come back this year, and I hope he shows us something because I feel for the kid uh, with the luck that he's had so far. Cameron Meredith has really stepped up. Uh, this year had that huge game against Indianapolis a little and unfortunately played a little too well because Brian Hoyer trusted him more than he trusted Alshon uh, Jeffrey and then for the second year in a row Eddie Royal's been in and out uh, of the uh, of the lineup so he's been great when he's been healthy but of course he hasn't always been healthy and that's been the big problem there yeah you know it was one of those things too with Kevin White early in the season you wanted to see more rotation from your wide receivers. I mean, those first two or three games before White got hurt, it was almost exclusively Alshon Jeffrey, Kevin White, Eddie Royal. Cameron Meredith didn't play at all, I think, until the third game, and he didn't really start playing significant snaps until Kevin White actually went down. And it was kind of this question of, of why not, you know, if, if Eddie Royal is a guy that's habitually banged up and, you, you, and Kevin White is still learning the offense a little bit, why not rotate a guy like Cameron Meredith in there a little bit? Why not get Josh Mel- Josh Bellamy in there a little bit? Even Deontay Thompson, get him in there a little bit. And it just kind of seemed like they were stubborn and, and wanted to just use their top three receivers. And as they've been forced to use the rest of their guys, they, they found a little bit of a gem in Cameron Meredith. And, and certainly uh, Alshon Jeffrey is, is starting to get back into his rhythm with his quarterback now back under center. So there, there's a lot to be encouraged about with this group just because Royal and White have been banged up and they've still been solid. But... You know, you, you would like to see from the beginning a little bit better implementation of these guys because they are talented young players that all want the ball. And um, I'm really excited to see what Jay Cutler can do with now, assuming Eddie Royal comes back soon, three top wide receivers all begging for playing time, basically, all, all wanting the ball and all being able to make moves with the ball in their hand. And Zach Miller, uh, Zach Miller also having a pretty good uh season thus far but why do you think it is that they just stick with like two three guys and that's it no matter because even when we had our troubles last year uh with injuries and such um you know there was very very little rotation but you look at teams like green bay and it's it, you you hear it all the time but you hear stuff like oh and aaron Rodgers has completed passes to seven different receivers today and you can't even name seven different people to catch the ball on the bear roster because it's jeffrey it's this guy and it's that guy and then maybe somebody out of the backfield and that's it yeah it's it's hard to explain and that's that's one of the big criticisms of this coaching staff this year is that on both sides of the ball they've made personnel decisions that just don't seem to quite make sense as far as playing time goes. I mean, you know, we talked about it on, on offense pretty well, but defensively, you, you know, you've, you've got guys rotating in and you've got guys like uh, Mitch Unrein playing a lot of snaps on that defensive line and young guys, Cornelius Washington and John Bullard behind him begging for more playing time and it just doesn't seem to happen. And same thing at linebacker when Danny Trevathan goes down, Nick Kwiatkowski gets in there for a few snaps here and there and then they put in John Anderson and then they cut John Anderson and John Timu goes in. And, of course, the secondary, they can't seem to, to keep anything rotated. But it, it's kind of an all-around-the-roster thing, which to me points to the head coach and, and a philosophy he's putting down. I mean, certainly I think Vic Fangio and Dowell Loggins have a lot of say over plenty of that, and, and they deserve some of the blame too. But it seems to be almost a team philosophy. Of we, we play the guys that we that we know we have, that we like, and you know we'll, we'll work those younger guys in when we get the opportunity. But the starters the starters play, and, and that's that's how it is. And it doesn't quite seem to make a lot of sense. So what it is you think that, that I mean, aside from the, the Minnesota game aside, what do you think it is that's hampering 
the defense right now? Is it that lack of rotation and using fresh bodies and uh, and everything? Because their inability to get teams off of the field is the reason that they've got nothing left in the tank in the fourth quarter and teams were able to uh, pull away from them. But, you know, with the influx of talent that we got with Freeman, who's been tremendous so far this year, uh, Trevathan, who's been decent when he was when he was healthy and that, you know, he was out a couple weeks with that that thumb injury. You know, um, Akeem Hicks has been, you know, flashy. I mean, he had an outstanding game against Minnesota, but he he you know, he's big and, and mean and nasty as advertised, but he hasn't been consistent that way. Eddie Goldman goes down in the Dallas game or maybe it wasn't even Philadelphia. You know, is, is it the injuries that are holding us back or is it something else? I think the injuries certainly play a big part in that, but I feel like it's really the offense that's holding the defense back. Because, I mean, even from week one, they held the Texans to 13 points in the first three quarters, but the offense couldn't do enough once. And and, and same thing against the Philadelphia Eagles, nine points at halftime to them. The Cowboys game was, was not good. I mean, that, that one you can chalk up to the defense playing pretty poorly. Obviously, they held Detroit to six points on offense, and their, their only touchdown came on special teams with that punter turn touchdown. Indianapolis, they were definitely in it down to the fourth quarter, you know. Uh, Jacksonville Jaguars, they had shut them out for the first three quarters of the game. And then the Green Bay game, they had the Packers to just 13 in the first three quarters. So it was definitely, it it felt like the defense was holding up their part for those three quarters. And it just kind of came down to the offense not being able to hold possession. I think it really comes down to guys getting tired, guys playing too many snaps in a row. And some of that could be a leave with with rotation. But especially in that secondary, they're, they're just aren't enough players to be able to rotate when you've got your top four and five corners sometimes missing an entire game. It, it, it's tough to be able to get new bodies in there because you're kind of just throwing out what you have. So I, I think injuries deserve a, a decent chunk of the blame, but because they had played so well in spite of those injuries for three quarters of most of these games, I, I point to the offense of not being able to hold that time of possession to give the defense to be able to allow the defense to play with a lead and play a little bit more aggressively. They kind of have to play conservatively and, you know, not give up the big points and allow the, the opposing offense to just get yards and then stand up in the red zone. And and that's exactly what tires them out. And, and it was a working strategy for a while, but it's just, it just couldn't hold up for four quarters when the offense can't hold up their end of the bargain. Yeah, no, that's definitely a good, uh, good theory there. I mean, that, that Indianapolis game absolutely drove me insane because I mean, it, it was very much like watching um, Jay Cutler always throwing the ball to Brandon Marshall. Because Andrew Luck only had eyes for T.Y. Hilton, we knew that's where he was throwing the ball. And yet, every time he needed to get the ball to T.Y. Hilton, Hilton was open and able. To, you know, third and twenty, he gets twenty-two. Third and twelve, he gets sixteen. You know, over and over again, that ended up being the difference in the game, especially considering we found T.Y. Hilton wide open down the center of the field for the game-winning uh, touchdown just after the Bears. Uh, took the lead you know it just really seemed like the shortcomings there uh it just it just made me crazy to like to know we're no we're throwing to this guy and yet we can't stop it anyway yeah you know they, and it wasn't like they just kept burning one corner over and over again with you right. I, right. I, I he had 11 targets and six they came against six different defenders in coverage and I mean, you know, like Jacoby Glenn gave up two catches for 40 yards. Tracy Porter gave up two catches for 42 yards. Callahan, two catches for 23 yards. Danny Trevathan, two catches for 29 yards. So I think that was another one of those more, it wasn't just like one guy getting beat. It wasn't just injuries at these positions. It was just a a tired defense that couldn't continually put up this effort for four quarters when their offense wasn't holding up their end of the bargain against an Indianapolis Colts defense that was just kind of begging them and giving them opportunity after opportunity to put points on the board. And they did put up 23, which was their, their highest output of the season, I think still yeah. is. But, you know, that, that just wasn't enough when they couldn't hold on to the ball consistently and, and put up enough points on the board. Because even that 23 felt like it wasn't enough. I think with, with three field goals in there, you wanted at least another touchdown out of that, and they just couldn't get it. Yeah, and then, of course, uh, which leads me to my next question, because you mentioned that we had field goals, but there were – field goals that were missed in that game and and I'm wondering maybe you can tell me something I mean if he's got pictures of John Fox with a farm animal or something how is Connor Barth still the kicker I mean he's been fine the last few weeks so okay so no no I guess no problem there but you know he's he's missing kicks right away then he's missing that kick against Indianapolis to where 
you know, we were in field goal range at the end of the game when we were still trying to score a touchdown because of he a kick that he missed twice there in the uh, in the third quarter. We'd have been within a field goal instead of trying to score a touchdown to win the game. We'd have been able to drive to tie it. How is Connor Barth still the kicker right now for the Bears? I, I have no idea. Me and uh, Phil Atoshin from Bears Barroom talk about this all the time. It, it, it really – I don't understand at least why you don't have – we don't hear about, oh, the Bears brought in these three kickers right. for a workout on Monday. There's no – there's almost no activity, and I don't understand – I mean, it's not like there's a great kicker just sitting on the free agent market or anything, but at the same time, you, you have to want better for your team. And, and he hasn't been awful. I mean, he's, I think he's at 78.6% this year, and, you know, he's over one from 50-plus and one for two from 40 to 49 yards. But it's been in those key situations, which was kind of the – the criticism of Robbie Gold, at least last year, was that he just couldn't come up in the clutch when they needed him the most. And it was a little bit of a weird timing decision of when they made the decision to release Robbie. It would have been one thing if, you know, you decide this offseason that we don't want him. And, you know, then you have a whole free agency in the draft to try and get a new kicker and work out guys in training camp. But to do it at the like the same time they signed Josh Sitton, it just felt so weird and, and poorly timed. And even... The punter, Pat O'Donnell, he hasn't been playing that well either. The whole special teams, I think, has been one giant question mark. And, and kick returner, too, Deontay Thompson has been awful. And since Eddie Rowe has been hurt, they haven't had a punt returner, too. I mean, that, that phase of the team has not been good. No, it's been actually quite horrendous since Lovey uh, left town. I mean, we went from being the like the special teams unit in the NFL to being the, the laughingstock of, uh, of special teams, uh, in, especially when uh, – when Tressman, I mean that was a, that was a unit that really fell by the wayside when when Tressman came to town. I mean that that unit suffered greatly, and that and the defense is what kept the Bears in so many games when Lovey was the coach. And we brought Tressman to fix the offense, but he screwed up everything else. But uh, you know, I, I just so we look at this schedule. We're, we're two and six. You and I both are kind of on the same page as far as like saying, well. They deserve to be two and six by the way that they played. You know, the defense has been doing its best, but the offense hasn't been holding up its end of the bargain by putting points on the board, settling for field goals when they should be scoring touchdowns, missing field goals when the opportunity is there. Going into the second half of the season, it, it looks to me like we've got an easier more you know a winnable schedule we're at tampa bay we're at the giants that game's going to be tough then we have tennessee and san francisco at home believe me i've got that san francisco date circled because that game pissed me off so much last year i've talked <laughs> about it the entire off season i swear to god because robbie gold missed two field goals in that game uh you know the pick six from cutler uh there was a there was a holding penalty on a punt return for a touchdown if only one of those things doesn't happen. The game ends in regulation and the Bears win it. But instead, all of those things happened and San Francisco was able to win it in overtime. Believe me, that's a game I want bad, bad this year. And that was really, I think the, that game was capped off by the Blaine Gabbert 44-yard touchdown run. I mean, that oh, was kind God. of the, uh, that was the cherry on top of the, at least in regulation of, okay, yeah, you know what's happening in this game. You know how this is going to end. Yeah, no, you know, you know, no kidding. I mean, it's just like you, you know, what happened in overtime happened in overtime. Hey, you know, you the the San Francisco went out and won it in overtime. Good for them, but it should have never gotten to that point because, like I said, any one of those mistakes doesn't happen in the game. The Bears win it in regulation, regulation, and it's not a discussion. So that, those are the first four games, the first half of the second half of the schedule at Tampa, at the Giants, home for Tennessee, home for San Francisco. What are you thinking there? I mean, it kind of depends on which offense comes to play. I mean, if, if you can yeah. recreate the same Bears that played against the Minnesota Vikings, then that's four wins in a row to me. Though Those four oh. games are all wins. If, if the offense comes out running the ball and playing play action off of that, the defense gets a decent pass rush, and, a lot, and they start to get a little healthier. There's talk that Eddie Goldman could be back for the Tampa Bay game. That would be huge for them. And yeah. maybe you get guys like Bryce Callahan. Maybe Kyle Fuller comes back one of those weeks. I think week 12 is which would be the, temp the Tennessee Titans game. I think that's when he's eligible to return from IR. So you could you could see four straight wins, but part of me still feels like from what we've seen the first seven games that they could easily come up come out against Tampa Bay and just lay an egg and look kind of like the same team we saw the first couple weeks of the season. The offensive line not on the same page, everything falls apart, and then you're three and six and or sorry you're two and seven and you're not really sure then if they can even beat New if they can beat New York and then Tennessee and San Francisco is pretty much a toss up for them at that point. So it. 
the, the Minnesota Vikings game is really what changes the whole dynamic of the season right now because if if, right. if that proves to be the turning point then you could realistically win your next five games Tampa Bay New York Tennessee San Francisco Detroit and then you play Green Bay at home and depending on I mean a lot will change for the Green Bay Packers then but the way the Packers played on Thursday night that could easily be a win for the Bears too and then all of a sudden you're looking at a team that's over 500 and potentially I mean you almost have the word playoffs come back into the conversation there. And after the way this team played a week ago and two weeks ago, I mean, that's crazy, but that's just kind of the magic of what had happened with Jay Cutler, what happened against Minnesota on Monday night. It could really be the turning point of this season. Yeah. Cause I, I've even presented that question to, to my audience was, was Monday night against Minnesota a turning point or was it just our, Green Bay and on Thanksgiving moment for this season you know we 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 really weren't playing well enough to beat a team like Green Bay on I mean in in those circumstances anyway to go into Green Bay on national TV on Thanksgiving night on freaking Brett Favre retirement you know Jersey retirement night it was written in the stars the Bears weren't going to have a chance to win this game and they go out and they dominate uh Rodgers the you know the untouchable Aaron Rodgers throws two picks to the same guy for Pete's sake in that game the Bears you know even stop Rodgers in the red zone four tries inside the 10 yard line and he can't put it in uh the end zone you know to preserve the the win was this win against Minnesota a turning point or was it our Green Bay on Thanksgiving moment for this season it, it definitely scares you because it had that same kind of feeling as the green bay game where you're like holy crap they're gonna do this they're gonna they're gonna win this game and they're gonna spoil you know the minnesota vikings fun they they ended up getting the minnesota vikings offensive coordinator to resign and the same kind of thing with green bay last year shutting down on brett Favre day i mean it it has that same sort of myth and and that that sort of magical story feel about the game and it's definitely i, I mean i don't have the answer to that question certainly i don't think anybody does but then that that's going to be the, the way they respond against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is going to be big. I mean, if they come out and and they pick up right where they left off and and cruise to a victory, then I think that really sets the tone for the rest of the season. But if they struggle against Tampa Bay, and even if they still win that game, but it, it's it's a little bit rougher than it should be the way they played against Minnesota, then I think I think that could kind of be where you're looking at the rest of the season that it's not things haven't been solved. It was more of a temporary fix at that point. And then I think they go into New York and have a much tougher time because Tampa Bay might be one of those win-by-default games, especially if they're without their quarterback and number one wide receiver. The Bears might just kind of be forced into luck and win that game, even if they don't play that well. So the New York Giants game might be the first real test of whether this offense is fixed and whether this team is ready to go on some kind of run here. Well, I hope that that, uh, I hope it's the turning point. Uh, I really do. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, the Bears can turn it around at least make a make a season out of it uh, at this point and show some some of the progress that we thought we were going to see throughout the year because uh, it you know kind of turned out that even though there have been a lot of improvements in the AFC South or at least as far as like how those teams were addressing their needs uh, during the offseason, you thought these guys might be tougher. Uh, the AFC South is is as advertised. Uh, from last season Jacksonville is imploding as we speak Tennessee is still a couple of years away Houston can't win a football game if it's not in Houston and you know the Colts are a walking disaster uh, at this point so I mean that's that should be like I I thought at the worst we'd be three and one against the AFC South if we lose to Tennessee we are 0 for 4 in that division somehow and uh, we should have won pretty much all four of those games. And, and that's what makes you so concerned moving forward that, that this Minnesota Vikings game was just an anomaly. It was just everything happened to go right for that one game coming off the energy of Jay Cutler's return and that that, that won't happen again. You know, that's because they, you're absolutely right. They should have beat Indianapolis. They should have beat Jacksonville. And they probably should have beat the Houston Texans, too, the way they came out flat in the second half. I mean, it's, it's hard to then t- take that feeling and then be optimistic that they can go on a run here, even even after the Minnesota Vikings win, because it is still the same. I mean, it's the same team. It's the same guys that crapped the bed all those weeks, and it's it, it's it's hard to be confident in anything different because it's the same guys doing the same things. Absolutely, and it's it just. Um... You know, it was frustrating to, to, to watch because that was a, a portion of the schedule that I think pretty much everyone was looking forward to, especially after seeing these teams perform last year. It's like, dude, we get the AFC South next year. That's 
we got that in the bag easy you know that's four wins at at least three and then you know you only need to get a few more and you're in the playoffs and uh you know that hasn't been working out uh at all so i mean really hoping that we did uh get get through a turning point against the vikings so that the second half of the season will be watchable especially for somebody like me the the cubs and the run that they've been on lately is what saved the first half of this season for me you know where it was that i would watch the cubs to get between you know to get from one bear game to the next this has been the other way around i've been watching bear games just to get from one cubs game uh to the next and now that the season is over i need the bears to show up yeah well don't worry our basketball season's starting around too so uh you'll you'll have a a mediocre bulls team to look forward to in between uh in between bears games yeah we still got the blackhawks i like watching hockey more than i like watching basketball to be honest with you so uh, I'll, 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 I think I'll bury, you know, bury my sorrows in, in, in the, in the, in the Hawks if I have to. Very well understood. Yeah. Well, Lauren, thanks so much uh, for coming back on. I appreciate your time and, um, you know, it, uh, well, at this rate, we'll probably have a chance to talk at the, uh, the end of the season, just to review this thing, uh, unless a miracle occurs and we're the Kansas city chiefs of, uh, 2016 and we go on a miraculous run here it's uh it's going to be one and done at the end of uh at the end of uh week 17 we play minnesota again we'd love to have you back on to recap the whole year absolutely i'd be happy to be back all right lauren cox bearswire.com and uh where can we find you on twitter uh at cox sports one and you guys do a like a recap show after the games right yeah, we're doing a. We actually we're doing a recap and a preview show. So me and Phil Atoshin, we go live on on the air. It's called Bears Hour Live. It's on Twitter at Bears Hour Live. So every Thursday night at seven thirty, we preview the upcoming game, and then a half hour after every game gets done, we're on the air taking calls and, and breaking down what we just saw. Fantastic. And uh, so you find that on Twitter. What's where's the address for that? Uh, it's at Bears Hour Live, and the the podcast version of every show is up on iTunes. Fantastic. So there you have it. Thanks so much for, for coming back, Lauren. Lauren, recapping the first half of the 2016 season, hoping for a brighter second half. want to thank Lauren Cox from BearsWire.com for being on the show, and be sure to check out his uh, – his uh, his live shows they, they they broadcast on Thursday nights and just after uh, the game as you heard him say and you can go ahead and check that out on Twitter to uh, to be able to take part uh, in that and uh, you know interview ran a little bit long so I'm not gonna waste any more time we're gonna go ahead and wrap things up and uh, we will be back next Thursday uh, I'm gonna be talking to Sander Phillips from Bucks Nation on SB Nation about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and previewing the Week Ten matchup between our two teams so. Enjoy the little sabbatical, and until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Chicago Bears Review.